0: When we witnessed the wildebeest migration, there
1: was something that clicked. This is Jason Baldus talking about a pivotal moment for him in the late 1990s. He was in East Africa, the Serengeti and Masai Mara plains, and he was witnessing an extraordinary scene, wildebeest, migrating in a herd so massive, it defied the imagination.
0: I was driving for 80 to 100 miles and on dirt roads, And as far as you can see in every direction is wildebeest. And we counted uh, 30 other species or so. One day we saw 88 hyenas. It was at that moment, you know, sitting there with my dad on the plains and and having a conversation about what our own Serengeti had looked like. And uh, the realization that that what we were seeing was just less than 5% of what the bison was here uh, less than 200 years ago.
1: And so that that sparked something in me. Jason is the buffalo representative for the Eastern Shoshone Tribe at the Wind River Reservation in Wyoming. He's passionate about bringing bison back to the area where they once roamed. The hope is that
0: we uh, can instill a respect for this animal. We can uh, work on a paradigm shift of how we view these animals. You know the the story of buffalo and Native Americans is very similar in that we're now on remnants of our once former vast territories, and tribes are now on reservations and and buffalo in parks and refuges, or on private lands. So you still can't go to um, anywhere public lands or and very few tribal lands to see bison managed as wildlife. And there's really uh, a discrepancy in how these animals are treated, because there's 850,000 or so bison in the commercial meat market. Those are genetically manipulated, uh, but there's only 21,000 bison that exist in conservation populations, meaning they exist as wildlife or under uh, natural regulating factors. So it's important that in bison conservation, we're leading the way towards a a paradigm shift that, that respects these animals as wildlife. We see them all over as logos and emblems and things like that. Uh, They're on our
1: flags, but where do you have to go to see them? I spoke recently with Jason about what it means to restore and reclaim an animal the Eastern Shoshone considers sacred. I started, though, by asking him to take us back to the 1880s, when a local missionary recorded a staggering change.
0: That particular set of data is from the Shoshone Episcopal missionary by the name of Reverend Roberts, who spent 66 years with the Eastern Shoshone and the Northern Arapaho people. He uh, kept journals documenting the number of bison that were being taken by the tribes at that time.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: so in, uh, in 1881, I believe the figure was around 2,500 bison were taken for food, for clothing, shelter, et cetera. But by 1885, there were 10 uh, that were taken by the tribes. And after that, there were no more uh, available.
1: All this changed in 2016. That year, building off the work of his father, Jason helped usher in the arrival of 10 bison at Wind River. It was a historic moment. The tribe had never had access to bison for, for food
0: or for ceremonial purposes. And so when that first hoof hit the ground in the middle of the night, uh, off of that trailer, that's really when it hit home that that they were back for us. Not bison to be managed like cows. Not not bison that get rounded up and you're tagged and vaccinated and treated like a cow. We wanted these buffalo to be uh, respected in the way that that they should be, and that is uh, like the other wildlife species. So this effort is is unique in that these buffalo will ultimately be treated differently. Um, and it's part of that paradigm shift to show what can happen in terms of what buff, buffalo management as wildlife on tribal lands and how that really can uh, trickle over into
1: how we see them on public lands. Tell me a little bit more about what seeing the bison as tribal animals as, you know, part of the community of the Wind River Reservation. What does that mean for the folks living on that reservation and thinking about their own visions of of self-determination?
0: The name for ourselves is Gwichendika, the Shoshone people here of the Eastern Shoshone Band. We call ourselves the buffalo eaters. But again, that buffalo has been gone from us for so long that we've forgotten how to live with that animal. Hmm. We maintain... Our ceremonies and those types of things, but you know, even those, uh, it's only really legally been able to practice uh, those ceremonies since the American Indian Religious Freedom Act of 1978. That's 40 years ago, and so we are still healing from some of these policies and things in the past that have resulted in a lot of this intergenerational trauma that we have in our society in our culture. And so we have to instill a, a sense of pride, and a way to do that has always been through through this buffalo. This buffalo is a way to help us heal. It's a way to help us reconnect, and and that's exactly what we're we're trying to do uh, through a, an education program to to harvest a buffalo and bring our elders together with our young people to reinvigorate our languages, to to learn how we use that those parts of that animal, uh, how we process that hide and even how we utilize that, those parts in, in parts of our ceremonies, that these things uh, and cultural revitalization is, is critical to who we are as, as Shoshone people or Rapo people or Blackfeet or
1: Cheyenne. And that means that there must be something special about having bison among the folks living at Wind River as opposed to those who are simply on farms or simply being raised for meat. I mean, how would you describe the importance of that difference? I mean, again, you mentioned earlier it's not about ending necessarily the farm raising of bison, but there is something different about how the Shoshone people are relating to bison. That is part of that healing process. Uh, We did
0: um, harvest two of our buffalo uh, a couple weeks ago, and it was— for those purposes that I mentioned, it was to send meat to the Shoshone reunion uh, that happened about a week ago in Lawton, Oklahoma. Feeding our people, buffalo is probably the one of the most important steps to uh, relearning how to use it. It was difficult to harvest those those animals because of of the hard work that it's taken to get them get them here. Mm. Uh, but it's also uh, community education. A lot of our our own people don't understand the the history of -hmm. of what's happened to bison, the governmental policies that resulted in their extermination, the contemporary efforts, uh, why that's important. But we're also not saying that anybody has to change their livelihood. Uh, A lot of people, especially in the cattle industry, feel threatened by uh, bison. And we have tribal farmers and ranchers that, that run cattle. One of the things we've always said is that these buffalo are in no way a threat to, to those cattle or or that livelihood uh, that cow that cow benefits that family or that individual but these buffalo they
1: benefit everybody and for you it really does begin with thinking about the bison as wildlife
0: we currently manage six of the seven ungulate species as as wildlife including the the wolves and the and bears and other mm-hmm. predators so why is it that that bison or buffalo is the only one that that we don't treat like that.
1: Hmm. And
0: a lot of it uh goes back to the the conquering of the west. The notion of of manifest destiny that that the pioneers and settlers out here were on a task to remove Indians and remove buffalo. That made way for these large beef operations many of which are in existence today. Right. And so we're now in an era of of a time when, when tribes can exercise some sovereignty, we uh can can relearn our languages, we can we can practice and be who we are as Shoshones or Arapos or Lakotas in a time like we've never been able to before.
1: Right. The herd at Win River is now to just over thirty bison. Is there a long-term plan for growing the number of bison? Is it about introducing more populations, simply natural reproduction? And and what's the idea, or the hope at least, for how many bison the reservation can actually sustain?
0: The steps that need to take place uh, are of of collaboration and, and more partnership. We have two tribal governments on this reservation, the eastern Shoshone and the northern Arapaho. We're both nations uh, are buffalo people if we can uh, look at buffalo as a benefit to all of us on this reservation then that means expanding the range into tribal land we want to reach a threshold of a a thousand animals and this is for Mm. the conservation of the species the international union of conservation of nature iucn puts out a benchmark of a thousand animals for you to maintain genetic heterogeneity we would hope that we could uh, expand range to, to an area that would facilitate the growth of our population to, the, to a harvestable level.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: then uh, in a period of time, think about expanding further past that. Uh, this Wind River Reservation has more potential habitat for bison uh, than, than almost uh, any other reservation in the West. Wow. But again, wildlife management is a lot less about managing wildlife as it is about managing people. Because if you put the animals back in their habitat,
1: they do just fine. It's the people that you have to worry about. (laughs) And and, and is this a a partisan issue at all, or is this really a matter of what one other activist I spoke to, Nick Estes, described as, as settler infighting? In other words, that there are folks who are operating in mainstream party politics who are basically wrangling with each other over allocations and apportionments and such. And it has less to do with necessarily what the tribe is trying to put forward.
0: That's correct. Um, just a couple of years ago in Montana, we we defeated 13 anti-bison bills. And this last mm-hmm. legislative session, uh, at least six anti-bison bills. There's less of that legislation in Wyoming, uh, but there is uh, that infighting uh, to fight those tribes on getting bison back on the landscape as wildlife. And and not even the tribes. You, you look at the American Prairie Reserve and uh, the CMR, uh, Charles M. Russell, uh, mm-hmm. efforts to restore bison on large landscapes, and, and they're, they're met with uh, uh, quite a bit of hostility. People don't want to see
1: it. So, Jason, give me some sense of what the flavor is of these bills that are opposing the expansion of the bison population.
0: Expanding the bison population has been controversial because, well, you have a population of, of bison in Yellowstone that in 1902 there was 23. That park grew up essentially around those those animals and the population grew. And it kind of came to a head in 1997 where there was a tough winter. Uh, bison were leaving the park in order to seek winter forage. Of course, inside the park, bison are iconic uh, species that are just revered. But as those animals stepped outside of that imaginary boundary, they Uh, became essentially livestock or a a threat to the livestock industry because of the perceived threat of brucellosis. Brucellosis was brought by cattle in the first place and infected the wildlife. And then states like Idaho and Montana and Wyoming uh, established brucellosis-free status so that they could export their beef. Mm. Um, Well, that created controversy when those bison went to leave the park. They were shot. There's never been a documented case of a bison giving a cow brucellosis right. in the wild. There is documented cases of elk giving cattle brucellosis, but elk mm. can move freely across that boundary. Right. What is, what is the reasoning there? Well, it's it's money. The Jackson elk herd, uh, the, the sports industry that, that uh, draws in people to hunt elk is a tremendous economic boost to that, that economy. If elk were uh, persecuted or treated in the similar way that bison were, that, that economy could, could crash or collapse. They don't, they don't receive the same economic benefit
1: from, from bison. In 2016, President Barack Obama designated the bison the official mammal of the United States. The story of the bison is a big part of American history, obviously, and, and, and you lay that history out extraordinarily well and compellingly. But what do we miss if we overlook that centrality? If we don't give the bison their due?
0: You know, I think I think back a lot about when our reservation was established in 1863. The Shoshone reservation was 44 million acres. That was the ter- that was mm, the traditional wow. territory of the Shoshone people, and this was before the states were. But it would have been half of Wyoming, northern Colorado, northern Utah, and eastern Idaho, and majority of Yellowstone. Only five years later, in 1868, our reservation was reduced by 42 million acres. Wow! So, when when it comes to federal Indian law and policy, uh, it, it, most Americans look at it like here's the United States that gave these tribes their reservations.
1: <laughs> right. When in right. fact it's when in <laughs> fact
0: it's the other way around. The tribes mm. relinquished parts of the United States in that we would be able to reserve uh, our res- reservation, reserve our ways of life in perpetuity. Of course, that didn't happen. Uh, things like the General Allotment Act opened up reservations for homesteading, uh, then the boarding schools that removed our children, our our spirituality was outlawed. And all of these things chipped away at who we were uh, as Native Americans. Now I think back to what if our reservation was store 44 million acres? Mm. Would we have issues with wildland-urban interface? No, we wouldn't. Would we have issues with healthy rivers and streams um, overgrazing by by livestock? I think about a lot of these things in that we continue to encroach upon these places that our ancestors had set aside for uh, our continued use and occupancy. And those things are even today uh, being diminished and that's not for just Native Americans. That's all people because even our public lands uh, have the potential to be auctioned off. So our democracy is is, is being eroded away. Uh, our access to these public lands, these places are under threat. And those animals, those birds, those fish, they don't have a voice. Uh, we have to be that voice for them. And if we uh, can't see it that way, if, if we're always at the top of the food chain and, and don't care mm-hmm. about what happens below us, uh, we're, we're, we're in doom. Right. And uh, so I think we not only need a paradigm shift in terms of how we think about buffalo, but we need a paradigm shift in about how we think about our connection with the natural world.
1: Jason Baldus is the Eastern Shoshone Tribe's buffalo representative. He also works for the National Wildlife Federation's Tribal Partnerships Program as a tribal bison coordinator.